So welcome, everyone. I have my favorite guest here of all of the guests I've had thus far. His name is Patrick Lovell. He is a producer, writer, director, investigative journalist, producer of a movie called The Con. You can find that on thecon.tv. It's a five-part series on um, the 2008 economic debacle. Very important film. Everyone needs to see. Beautifully done. It's coming off of another film that he did called Forward 13, Waking Up the American Dream. You can find him on podcasts of the New Untouchables, Truth Bombs. Uh, he's been a guest at Crystal, Kyle and Friends, Adam Carolla, Macro and Cheese, Real Progressives and more. And we had a conversation on the phone the other day because you're getting ready for a march that you're putting together. You're going to be... Um, yelling and screaming at the fed uh let's i wanted to talk about that i don't i don't necessarily that doesn't need to be the impetus of the whole thing because i'm sure we'll go on a lot of tangents here but uh what is what is that all about well first of all let me say thank you for being your favorite guest considering i'm your first <laughs> guest i love that introduction um and um you know with as big of a wide racket as i can return the volley with uh everybody needs to read um, your work, which is absolutely amazing. Um, and and I'll, I'll never forget when you first asked me to write a forward for uh, Quantum of Justice. And I, and I, was, I was so blown away because I had just read the book. And, uh, you know, we're two pieces of a pod from different parts of the country yeah. uh, working from different angles. But it's yeah. amazing what this uh, situation has forced us to have to do which I don't think in our earlier years we would have ever imagined right. we would have had to go through this journey the way we have. And so, you know, off the top, I mean, look, where I'm sitting and, and what I, sorry, proselytize pretty much every day, and that's not really my favorite word because I never thought of myself as, as a preacher trying to, uh, to make everybody see the light. Right. <laughs> but metaphorically, um, all roads lead to the Fed, Doug. If you don't understand what happened in the 2008 great financial crisis from the amazing work both of us have had to endeavor, um, you can't understand what literally everybody is trying to wrap their heads around today regarding the markets, the global markets, things that happen on a daily basis. And for anybody who does pay attention, which seems to be a lot more than at any other time, on this journey, um, people are they are getting asking, the right information? They might be paying attention, but the way things no, are, no, they're not getting the right. In fact, just the opposite, and that's why we're trying to, you know, rally as many people as we can, as well as as many knowledgeable people to help spread um, different revelations of what collectively different types of people from different kind of stratas within the economic sort of circles understand what the Fed's been up to. Uh, to elevate this thing out there. And to your point, even the people who know what the Fed's been up to for the last two or three years and are just besides themselves. I mean, there's there's a lot of traders out there. Maybe you've heard of the apes, the people with AMC, and they're like all up, you know, uh, trying to run up the hedge funds and the Steve right. Cohen's and these huge asset managers and trying to be the, you know, the little guy that takes on the big guy. These guys are incredibly adamant, but it's incredibly uh, fine-tuned and intelligent and brilliant as they are in their space, particularly as it relates to numbers and inflation, excuse me, uh, manipulation and that sort of thing, they seriously have absolutely no idea what took place to get us here, nor did I know the immensity of the problem before they kind of backdoored into it. Do you think, um, we've had discussions previously, we, we go back years now, probably seven years, I would say we found each other. And before, yeah. before we, uh, before your film and before my book, and we've had lengthy conversations we have tended to agree with is that, um, there's people that know at the higher ups, these, these people that, that you're wanting to, uh, bitch slap and, and wake up, uh, that are in <laughs> positions that can actually do something to fix some of these problems. I think they know how corrupt everything is um but their hands are tied because of the systemic process is just so ingrained in 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 everything if you pluck away it's it's like jenga if you pull out that one piece of wood 
and and get rid of this bit of corruption in our system the tower still stands but if you pull out all the stops which as far as you and i seem to be concerned uh and talk about uh it's necessary but the fucking tower falls down so how do you reconcile with what your work is and trying to get people to wake up and see the 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 information that you're feeding what's your takeaway what what do you want to have happen after this march that's uh happening on november one in front of the fed well look let's be let's be honest all right this march on the fed is kind of like my my final effort if you want to know the truth unless Uh something unless something actually happens uh it's more of a it's more of an act of desperation if you want to know the truth than anything um Look, I've been at this game, like you said, and, and thank you for saying that. It's been literally seven years since we first started engaging with each other. And I remember the first time you told me your story, and I remember listening so intently, and, and you weaved what you reveal in Quantum of Justice, which is one of the most profoundly you know, life-changing sort of revelations I've ever come across, uh, which makes so much sense when you understand all of the other elements that we were able to put together at the con. Right. Um, you know, look. I've evolved. Okay. I, I mean, I, I've almost gone through a sense of madness yeah. because it's not difficult. None of this is difficult. What, what I've always appreciated about you, Doug, is that you're, you're like, you've always reminded me of a Renaissance guy from the standpoint that, you know, you've been a music engineer, you've been kind of an entrepreneur, you've done a lot of different things creatively and uh, in business. And so you remind me of kind of what I came up with. That was that was something that people that I oriented to, uh, hung out with, were right. all in that sort of space. People who were creative, that made things happen, that could sustain themselves in whatever capacity. And that was just kind of like a cool thing, right? right. And so yeah. you become you become this builder, and you become this guy that, you know, I mean, you know, compared to a lot of developers you know, probably a very moderate size, but still to be able to do what you did, I knew right away all of the intricacies in, in the level of detail that you would have to uh, be able to carry on that endeavor, right? Mm-hmm. And that was just what, in the world that I lived in, most people I knew were in some capacity, um, you know, very capable of doing some amazing things, right? And so when the whole house of cards fell, and we had to piece these things together ourselves because I was kind of doing the same thing in production, right? Right. right. I'm a guy who hires people. Yeah. I see people and make deals happen. You know, I put projects together on the fly. It's what I do. It's what I love. Uh, but it's, it's involved. There's a lot of elements, right? So you have to kind of see the big picture at all times while being able to be flexible enough to make things happen. And so, you know, when, when things went sideways, right. I knew right away that this didn't add up. I knew right away that there was something wrong and, in, 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 uh, you know, there was something foul that was going on in a big way. And it didn't take me long, like so many others, to start asking the right questions. What I didn't ever anticipate was that this would just take over my life yeah. for the next, literally, from the beginning to the end of this whole thing. It was like a 13-year odyssey, right? right? Yeah. That, I'd ha- that I'd have to crisscross this country nine times to go talk to people at every level of the story where I got so fortunate, where I connected with Willie, the only legitimate criminologists that ever existed in this country, led by none other than uh, William K. Black, who was responsible for what is still to this day, it's seemingly a miracle in comparison to what we're dealing with now. But yeah, well, William K. Black and his team with the Office of Regulators, and he was in San Francisco at the time, by the way, Doug, he was the head of the Office of Thrift, uh, Thrift Supervision, which were regulators that worked with the Office of the Comptroller of the Currency to regulate banks. And so back in the 80s, we had a thing called the savings and loan crisis. And I always heard about it at that time period. I kind of knew some of who the big actors were, but I didn't know all the intricacies, right? Right. Shockingly, what I've learned throughout the process is that time period laid the groundwork and was as egregious as what came later, but it was the test run for what ultimately got us, okay? Right. But because I didn't understand it and I was like backtracking and putting it all together, your your question was, so what are we going to do about it? What do we want to accomplish with this march? Well, look, Doug, you're a poetic guy. Uh, you're also a fan of literature. You're well-read. 
this is a fucking fairy tale that's a nightmare. Yeah. It's the emperor's new clothes on really, really bad acid. I'm not just talking about Donald Trump. Yeah. Even though he, he can certainly He's a pawn. That. He's a pawn. He, but when I say the emperor's new clothes on really bad acid, Donald Trump does come to mind. But the <laughs> bottom line is he, he is really just an expression of this whole thing. Right. And actually, I have to give him some credit because he's block blowing through walls that few of us could do from his own audacity, right? And we'll circle back to him downstream, but I want to finalize this answer for you real quick. What am I trying to do? So I had to go like you to the ends of the world and back to understand this universe. I had to understand the architecture of the pipeline, how things worked in a way that I didn't understand before, every aspect of it that got me into things that I was pretty aware of from geopolitics to the nature of policy, but particularly the nature of regulation and deregulation. I was kind of loosely aware of that stuff, but I had to become an expert in that stuff to even know what I was talking about yeah. to get to the ultimate revelation that everything comes down to one intersection that this entire country has to wrap their head around. Federal Reserve Act 13.3 was used illegally to, to, to enable the full faith and credit of the United States to guarantee the largest criminal syndicate and cover-up in history. Now, we've talked about this a little bit. When you say 13.3 is used illegally, as I read through, and I'm going to have a link on, on this so people can read through that Fed code, but 13.3 uh, is allowing the Federal Reserve to give to individuals, to give to other banks, and to give to corporations, et cetera, et cetera. When I read that first line alone, it allows the Fed to give to individuals. Uh, my first thought was, well, why not me? You know, where am I? <laughs> you know, that, that's a great, great point. But um, when when it's done illegally, from what I'm understanding, and uh, help help everyone understand this a little bit more clear. In order to say that, how is it done illegally? My my take on that is, uh, the Fed now bypasses Congress and delivers trillions upon trillions of dollars without any congressional oversight to our, our budgetary issues. First and foremost, that's the most prescient question revelation. So thank you for framing it that way, because you're absolutely right. Okay. And I'll get back to that, because that that is really, that's the whole subterfuge that has to be revealed, okay? Right. Um, and I'll get to that for a second, though. But I'll just, if you read through actual, the statute, the jurisdiction, and how it came to be in the history of it all, uh, it came out of the Hoover administration right before and during the Great Depression. Okay. The nature, the, the nature of the Federal Reserve, first and foremost, was created so that the central bank, because you know we had a battle from the very beginning of this country right. about central power and the central bank. I mean, that was the preeminent battle between um, Adams and uh, Jefferson. Ultimately, it plays out through you know all of the early history, which is incredible chaos, really, when you dig it, dig into it. So right. much war, so much bloodshed, so much things that that were you know contrary to kind of what the vision of the 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 birth of the nation was all about. But you know, inevitably, that's history, right? So there was a lot of things happening, but they they created there was this battle going on the whole time. They created the Federal Reserve to prevent the unbelievable economic crises that had been occurring in the nation prior to that, and to also centralize the currency. I think. There was four thousand different currencies in 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 pre this era. I, I mean, there was hundreds probably that were majority in use, but there, there were so many different currencies and so much so much speculation and so many different ways things would blow up. The demand became a central bank with a central currency. I un I understand that, and that's where we are now. When you use the word "they created," what I find interesting, and I don't want to go down this rabbit hole too far. But in the formation of the creating of the Fed, the they that you're referring to are that top 0.001% of, mo of money holders in the country at the time, uh, those bankers at, at that time. So I don't find it a mystery that if that's the history of the mystery, that uh, where we are today when when we have this quantitative easing that goes on and the fed gives money to wall street thinking it's supposed to trickle down i i just i don't see how that thought process would ever work 
because it historically has shown that it doesn't anyway. But the idea of the Fed uh, coming out and gestating from that 0.001% of the populace so they can wrap their minds around and wrap their their paws around and create those rules. I'm one of those guys that sees this whole thing as a, a, a pile of, of shit. And it happens to be what we have. I get that. But why would anyone, the, all of those people that you interview at the levels of government and power that you interview in your film, The Con, they're saying uh, there's problems and there's problems here, there's problems there, and we need to look under this rug and that rug. And, and those people spoke out. Uh, I listened to a Frontline documentary last week that, I, that sparked this meeting here uh, for us to go forward. And I watched the documentary on Frontline about the power of the Fed back in July of 2021. They did a show. And the, they had uh, a couple of uh, uh, Fed bankers on there. And they said, yeah, we wanted to do this in 08 and 09. And, 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 and then we got into quantitative easing and all that. And, what, and, and it didn't happen the way we wanted. And I look and I think, that's just such naive shit or a big smoke and mirror sales job. What do you think? Is it shit or a sales job? Well, I think. Uh, do these like people really think the Fed is is uh, working the way it's supposed to, or or do they actually know it benefits that point one percent, and everyone else can go to shit? Well, first of all, it's shit, and you're absolutely right. But let's let's talk about why it is in context to what the actual problem is that makes it so, okay. uh, so we can have some sort of process in our minds of how to solve the problem. Right. Again, you don't build a house without doing the foundation correctly. There's right. a process. Yes. And, and you know that better than anyone. And you've got to do it to code. And there's there's repercussions um, if you don't. Right. 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 So going to the very beginning, um, and I think this is absolutely crucial. And it took me a while to wrap my head around this. And, it's, and I always found it fascinating after I had to go through this process with the con that I had to literally rewire my mind. I was almost 40 years old when all of this stuff changed my life. And, you know, I already had my college education. I'd been in business for a long time. I'd been around power for a long time. I'd seen how things worked. I kind of thought I had a pretty good understanding of the nature of how things, you know, the, the entirety of the system. Uh, but I had to literally reconceptualize my entire being to get my head around what it is that I'm about to tell you. Right. Okay? Yeah. So first and foremost, none of us are taught the history of the Federal Reserve in grade school, right. high school, college I think you'd have to actually study finance, but you'd probably have the, the details of the Fed are so obscured and it's just not as well known as, let's just say, American history. Right. right. It's just something that existed that we just thought the technocrats uh, handled in a way that was for the best interest of the country writ large. Right. Right. Not right. not for the, not for the one percent. And we all assumed that there are laws like everything else that we have in our society that would frame something based on common sense and accountability that, you know, obviously, over the last two decades in Citizens United, we, we could talk about that for hours, about how the law has reconfigured everything. It's right. not so cut and dry. You don't steal. <laughs> right. Yeah, <laughs> Which exactly. Is, you know, and it doesn't matter who you are. If you're at a higher level, you can't steal like the guy down on the, on, on you know, the lowest rung, uh, you know, stealing is stealing, right? So yeah, within theoretically, the within the contextualization of the Federal Reserve, again, the context was they had to create a central bank and a central currency because they had so many like insane uh, crises. And that was the idea. Right. And so the idea was, let's create the central bank with technocrats, guys that are, you know, non emotional. They know this stuff. They understand lending. They understand risk. So what we're going to do is we're going to create the central bank with statutes that are going to concur with what we know about finance in a way that makes it make sense based on what they understood at that time. Now, granted, J.P. Morgan Chase and all the top dogs of Wall Street were the guys that did it, and they did it at Jekyll Island, and they did it secretively, and they wound up on the 23rd, and they got um, President Polk. Was it Polk? Um, uh, Wilson. Oh, yeah, of course. It was Wilson. So, you know, they get, they get, it, they get it run through, and they get it approved, uh, you know, like when everybody's not looking and nobody's having a national debate on it, the right. first red flag, first red flag right there. Right. Exactly. Exactly. So what, the, what is the notion of the federal reserve though? I mean, you know, the idea is it becomes the lender of last resort 
And the notion is that it creates these 12 regional uh, Federal Reserve banks. So that doesn't have centralized power, supposedly, so that each uh, branch of the United States will have a, a chance to grow. And it works with the basic kind of construct of financing and lending, which is all about underwriting and all about knowing risk so that you can get the capital in the hands of those that are going to be the most productive with it. That's the concept, particularly in the notion of capitalism, right? Right. So this thing runs through and, you know, we came out of, I think it was like, you know, 1895 to 1905 were insane, um, you know, uh, wipeouts, you know, huge right. crises. And that was off the heels of everything that came before, right? We had a whole currency problem after the Civil War. And then we start to go to, into the industrial industrialization stage, which requires capital, right? Right, right? So as these things are growing and the robber barons start to consolidate this insane growth, both in energy, of course, the Rockefellers with oil, you know, Carnegie with steel, the Vanderbilts and, and the other robber barons with transportation, that sort of thing. Right. And you remember what it started to evolve into, right? It started to evolve into immediately we started to have populism because the financiers were strangling a lot of the producers, right? Particularly the farmers at that time. Right. I remember interviewing in our in our film, um, Senator uh, Byron Dorgan from North Dakota, and that sat with him forever coming from North Dakota. And it's primarily an agricultural sort of situation. They were basically monopolized and destroyed by Wall Street from the very beginning, which led to these populist results. Revolts. So what ultimately happens? You end up having all of these populist movements that led to, you know, ultimately uh, the labor rights movement. Then you had uh, women's suffrage. Then you had the civil rights movement and the environmental movement all happening concurrently at this time period. And they ultimately all consolidate through two major things. Right. We had trust busting through Teddy Roosevelt first. Right. And then we ultimately wind up with a new deal. Now, in between that whole thing. The Federal Reserve is still doing what the Federal Reserve is supposed to do. It provides whatever the, the relative interest rate is. Lender of last resort manages the different economies and the regional economies to, to finance and do those types of things that you would expect from sound banking principles, which ultimately- well, Theoretically, the, 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 the people at the Fed say they do that. Uh, and these different Fed uh, branch chairmen say the, the policy of the Fed is to get people to work. Well, from the very beginning, absolutely. Because if you think about what the mandate was initially, but then I, I apologize, it took me so long to describe some of these things. I don't mean it to be a history lesson, but I've learned a lot in the last little while. No, good. And I'm not the preeminent expert, but I am the preeminent expert where it winds up. Okay. And you asked me the, the, the most important question, why was Federal Reserve Act 13.3 illegal? So going back to, um, you know, um, uh, right after the Great Depression, um, and in the Hoover administration, and everything else, like I said, the Fed was created, uh, among other things, to manage the economy, but it was supposed to be the lender of last resort so you wouldn't have these giant fluctuations, right? right. And so ultimately, ask yourself this, Doug, being in the situation you're in. Just a very simple common sense question for you and your, your audience. If you, is was there a difference when you had incredible cash flow, incredible revenue, and your house is worth X amount? And you haven't been late on any of your payments for all of those different projects all over the country. Uh, did you have a different rating and ability to get loans based on all of that criteria that would be different than you weren't making your payments, you were in, in, in default and all sorts of other things that would come later downstream? If, if you're like on top of your game and you've got fantastic credit and cre great revenue and, and, you know, all of your whatever your collateral is, is solid. Right. You're, you've got you've got, you know, the money you can to create, you know, what you need to keep the flow, the engine going to right. create more and more revenue. Right. 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 So if everything goes and flips uh, and suddenly you're not making your payments and you, you default and you're 90 days out, and 160 days out and you can't reconfigure, would those guys give you loans based on the same criteria they did beforehand no. when you had uh, not, not even remotely right no yeah now with it now let's say you declared bankruptcy would they give you those loans um no okay so why on earth okay and, well and, and let me set up one other question before yeah, that i know where you're so, going i like it so so the statutes initially with 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 what took place after the great depression were the ideals that the federal reserve is going to be able to create lender of last resort capacity for everything that's necessary for the function, the functioning of society, right. whether it's agriculture, big energy, 
keeping the industrial machine going, war, all of those types of things, right? To keep the mighty United States afloat because we've got incredible collateral, incredible capacity, incredible strength. I mean, we're the most important industrial power really in the world. And right. so so that's that's the full faith and credit of the United States. That was also gl- gained by a lot of horrible things, right? right? Bulldozing Native Americans, slavery, all of those things in our history, theft, deception, Different discussions. Whatever. Yeah. Right. But at the same time, we got to a point of empire where right. there was this there was this power. So the United States had this economic engine that they could loan against and then through the you know the the the, the whole nature of bank uh, banking and paying back and everything else you know you had this huge economic engine incredible economic engine and it was there to ultimately backstop the united states in terms of emergency situations right like i said agriculture industrialization anything that keeps society alive so think about this when we get to 2009 does any of that criteria based on everything we just talked about seem to fit the bill for yeah. bankrupt shadow financial institutions that wrecked themselves into fucking uh, bankruptcy by fraud. Yeah, that's been my screaming from the mountaintop since uh, since everything as well. Who loans to bankrupt institutions that bankrupted the world through fraud? Who does? Well, that? the reason they do that is because the PR machine that that labeled something as too big to fail or they blame the victim which is what happened yes but, yeah but this is, is but 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 doug this is really what happened what they did was they had this huge you, you, i know you remember this because we were living through it at the same time and this is where my focus was just like the rest of the country i kept thinking okay look i'm going through this crisis because i was making six figures as an independent producer 2007-ish, uh, you know, the, the economy pulled the rug out from underneath my life and, and like there was no money to be found anywhere right. in that time period. And then I'm like looking at the administration and the change from the Bush administration. And I was a huge supporter of Obama at that time and very hopeful. Yeah. And I just was just expecting the United States government to make whatever was going on whole so that we could get back to the business of just living the way we had the previous 40 years that we were used to, right? right. But what was happening was in the transition between Bush and Obama, you might recall that they stopped the campaign and both McCain and Obama went to Washington. But what was happening at that time period was that there was emergency meetings between then Secretary of the Treasury, Hank Paulson, who was the former CEO of Goldman Sachs. Then, of course, uh, he was joined by Timothy Geithner, who was the uh, president of the New York Federal Reserve, which is the, the ultimate Federal Reserve bank for all the Federal Reserve banks. And that gets back to the question that you had at the beginning in terms of who does the Federal Reserve work for? We got to answer that question right, soon. Right. But to stay on target, then there was also Ben Bernanke, who was the uh, chairman of the Federal Reserve. And he had replaced Greenspan, who quite frankly was responsible for all the stuff that took place. Okay. Yeah. So ultimately, what they did was we had these panics and the news was all over it and the stock market's crashing and there's chaos and people are like, what's going to happen? The world's ending and all those types of things. And suddenly the big discussion in Congress was we got to show up. We're going to, we're going to create this troubled assets relief program. And there was huge, huge fights in Congress at the time because they were talking about um, what's the term moral hazard. You know, they kept speaking vagaries like we're going to bail these guys out for their own, you know, stupid mistakes. And we're all kind of on the hook here going in America like, oh, my God, they they, $700 billion are going to go to the banks to help them out. We don't even know what they're doing, but Jesus, $700 billion sounds like a shit ton of money. And then, okay, we'll we'll get this new president and things are going to work out. Right. So without us understanding what was really going on at the time, they sold that to Congress, they being Bernanke and uh, Geithner and Paulson. Right. Congress approved $700 billion in what was known as the T- Troubled Assets Relief Program. The way it was sold to the United States at the time period was that they were going to buy the toxic assets, they kept calling, from subprime, the way that they got the message out, which were they blamed on the people that had oh, borrowed nice. against their homes as ATMs, took out more than they could afford, so they crashed the economy because of greed that all of the American people did. Meanwhile, what happens is, they go to this back room, not in the, in Congress. They were in New York when this went down initially. 
uh, they met with the top, the top banking families, I'll call them, because right. that's what they remind me of. It's the mafiaocracy. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and Paulson lays out this three-page uh, basically edict. And he says to them, you're going to do what I tell you. And everybody's going to play ball. You're, you're going to march out of here in, in consolidation. And we're going to provide uh, we're going to pro- provide liquidity. What the country's talked about, the, the country interprets is that there's a liquidity problem. They think Congress is going to, you know, pull this off through this tarp thing. What turns out to happen is that the Federal Reserve provided twenty nine trillion dollars, twenty nine trillion dollars. Congress is going ape shit, and everybody in the media is like, "Oh my God, seven hundred billion dollars! Oh my God, this is the the worst catastrophe and bankruptcy in history! Oh my God, they got to get if they don't do it, they're going to save the you know the whole planet's going to go awry." And what they do is they backdoor twenty nine trillion dollars. Now we've talked about this number to before. save Wall Street. Now yeah. if we're going to say this number, if we're going to say that number, and I've and I've done my math, twenty nine trillion dollars. Where does that number come from? Boy, you know, the interesting thing is this, right? Because I thought that too, because you got to base it on collateral, collateral, you would think, right? All of the normal sorts of functionings of banking. Okay, so how much, how much, like if you're going to go through bankruptcy, you got to put in all the numbers of what you had, what your assets are, and all of these other things. You might think that they would have to go through the similar kind of things infinitum because of what's going on in the marketplace. Right. But as it turns out, this is what happens. None of that's going on. Hence my my point that Paulson says, here's three pages. Why? Because they knew what was going on in the derivatives market, which also, if for those of you who have gone through the housing collapse and who, who've read Doug's book and who might still be fighting and everything else, many people have said uh, from the beginning to me that they multi-pledged assets. Okay. Right. So they multi-pledged like one house, one rep, right? That goes into a trust that supposedly goes into all of these investors Ten times. that are up. Yeah, right. Or, what they ended up doing was they 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 ultimately uh, expanded that bubble for the investors into one revenue stream, but basically sold it so many times that that one revenue stream in this bubble of financialization right. and engineering up here was like resold like 10 or more times. Right. And now I used to think that was crazy, right? But let me tell you why I now know it's not crazy. Because okay. I can't let, let, let me let me give you an example of what because I was never really quite sure. Like I could see because I've heard this this guy out there who's like this forensic accountant who said all this stuff in the past. And I'm like, I'm not sure if he really knows what he's talking about, even though he was very compelling. And I happened to meet this guy in Washington, DC. Get a load of this story, Doug. It's a very I'll, I'll try to keep it as quick as I can. There was this former general from Pakistan that was living in the Beltway, and he was working with the CIA because he was in on finding bin Laden. Okay. But he got into some house and he was like this engineer wizard. And, you know, he was like one of the top guys in in Pakistan and he was working with the CIA, but he gets involved like the rest of us in a house that ends up getting uh, foreclosed upon. Right. (laughs) Because of things that he's involved with, but he starts to starts to ask questions like we all did. And what he did was he tried to follow, uh, you know, through the QCIP numbers and everything else, you know, what happened to the collateralization of his home? Well, he does this forensic audit and what he looked at, cause he had access to the, the Bloomberg terminal terminals. Right. And they shut that thing down later. He claimed that it had been resold 48 times. It showed up in 48 different trusts. Right. I thought at first that was fucking nuts. Right? right. Because the way he showed it was like his $1.2 million house had created revenue for everybody in the ether somewhere to the tune north of 48 million bucks. Right? right. So you're like, Oh my God, what? That's insane. And you're like, that can't happen. Nobody did. But then I start to learn oh, throughout this, happen, whole, yeah. this whole process that nobody has, you know, through the registry of deeds, they can't keep track of anything post robo signing. That's one aspect of it. But I ended up finding this interview of this guy who was the top attorney at Sullivan and Cromwell. Sullivan and Cromwell was one of these huge white shoe law firms in New York that all of the banks were their, um, their clients at this time. Okay. And he's getting interviewed by the Federal Crisis Inquiry Commission, and he says outright, nobody knew how deep it went. Nobody knew what happened in the derivatives. So there's no oversight or what? Why did nobody know? When they say nobody knows, somebody has to know something. 
but but there was no accounting for it, right? right? Exactly. Because because that's part of what was shown in the con, which was yeah. back in 1999, for example, Brooks Lee Bourne and Alan, um, uh, uh, Mr. Mr. Greenberger, yeah, Mr. Greenberger. Anyway, his her general counsel. They were working what was involved. They were they were the head of the Commodity Futures Modernization Act. They had, they had realized that there was like thirteen trillion dollars being traded in the overnight. Um, what were they called? The over the counter markets in, in nineteen ninety eight. And they're like, you got to be kidding me because it was not regulated. Right. So all of the major guys of the president's working group at that time, the SEC uh, uh, chairman Levitt. Then it was like Robert Rubin, who came out of uh, right. uh, obviously Goldman also, and he was the head of the Treasury under Clinton, and uh, all of the other guys. Oh, oh yeah, of course, everybody's favorite Larry Summers, and uh, they didn't <laughs> want to regulate the the derivatives market. So by the time we get to two thousand seven, the derivatives market was six hundred trillion dollars. So right. how deep does it go? Right. What they decided to do was look. We have no idea. We don't even know what the hell's out there. We don't even know what these bets are on. We're just going to come up with a number, and that number turned out to be $29 trillion based on the audit of the Levy story. And that, well, that kept everybody solvent. And, right. and, and if you get free money and you got $29 trillion, you can do stock buybacks and a whole other periphery right. of stuff that ends up making money, and you can make it look like, okay, we saved ourselves and paid everything back. You know, I get frustrated um, when, I, when I hear this, even though um, I've gone through this uh, back, you know, front, back and sideways over the years. Um, I'm trained in Bloomberg, uh, forensic loan, forensic analysis, uh, and auditing. And what I found, I mean, I didn't do $29 trillion worth of, of Bloomberg audits, but what out of all of the audits that I've done across the, across the country for all of the different clients. And I have this, I have this in my book. Um, and, um, I, I actually also have a real legitimate, uh, audit that is, uh, all the paperwork's there. Uh, the name is John Doe. I just take the name out, <clears throat> but it's, it's a real legitimate, um, uh, forensic audit. And out of all of those audits that I've done, every single one is not done correctly according to the sec and is therefore void it doesn't surprise me but the volume of that fucking criminality is just insane isn't yeah. it absolutely yeah. insane so i mean when i when that started to happen when i was getting schooled on this and and because i wanted to wrap my mind around some of that and so i started doing some of these things and and i'm like well this isn't right so it shouldn't have gone into the tranche uh, the, and then you go on to the next one. Well, this isn't right. And that date's right. And the signature isn't there. And that date's blah, 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 blah. They didn't do it in time on this date and yada, yada. So they, they shouldn't have gone in the tranche. And when you look at those processes and it's a hundred on my files, it's 100% that the entire securities market is false. It's based on bogus paper. The entire mortgage-backed security market and this brings me brings me to something actually <clears throat> to the best of my knowledge i'm not i'm not a uh i'm not the economist that i'd uh like to be but from what i understand the government is not supposed to invest in securities i've heard that too and and, and again i don't know all the ins and outs of that but especially let's let's take it a step further not securities created through uh, deceptive acts and practices. Okay. Right. Yeah. Which, 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 which brings like us back the to everything that we're talking nature about. of the, you know, yeah. Know. Which, which brings us back to what the con is. And this is what's so incredibly important about the moment. So, you know, look, I, I could go into a whole like 30 minute long winded sort of framing of what's taken place over the last 12 years, but I'm going to try to keep it very simple. So the 29 trillion was the first aspect of it starting in, 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 um, in uh, I think it was May of 2010. It might have been, yeah, I think it was May. Don't hold me to May. It's somewhere in that vicinity. But it was definitely 2010. That's when we started the quantitative easing. Now, right. our friends that are our economists try to poo-poo this notion through this sort of plumbing sort of definition of what quantitative easing, quantitative easing did versus what I knew intuitively it did. And I found out recently it did exactly what I thought it did. So did you ever hear that term that uh, when Timothy Geithner said, that the American people were going to be foam on the runway for the crashing financial yeah. system. Yeah. 
Uh, okay, so who, who of course, is the foam uh, the, the, the on the runway? Who of it? Well, you and me. We're the foam. That's that's exactly right. You yeah. and me and everybody we've come into contact with on yeah. our journey, right? Yeah. So, so, but out of all of those people, very few of us, A, know what actually created the fraud in the pipeline to create this devastation. Most people are hung up on the back end of the fraud that takes place in the courts, right? right? So what I've been trying to tell people this whole time is what you've got to understand, okay, is that first we had this $29 trillion emergency giveaway that was done illegally and backdoored to the financial system, and they were all bankrupt, okay? So first of all, put yourself in that situation. Now, These that 20, just a, a quick interject, that $29 trillion, is that back in uh, 08, 09, and 10, or is that the accumulative um, from that time till today? No, no, no. That was 2009 and one freaking massive buy. Through like, Based on the math they, that we were talking about with the uh, multiple homes being uh, securitized and tranched and whatnot. Yeah, I mean, that's what created the derivatives run, but you yeah. know the economy's got so much tied up into right, it. That's exactly. much more than the housing industry. I mean, it's everything, right? So right. they put $29 trillion to get the bank solvent so they could start loaning again and start getting business running and then make the payment structure and all that other kind of stuff. You know the difference between monetary policy and fiscal policy. Right. But, it, but that was just then, okay? Now, Wall Street did pay that back. But they paid that back under the fact that there was 0% interest. And all you got to do is just raise it, what, a half a half basis point? You're making money up the wazoo, especially right. if you're bankers with fees and that sort of thing, right? right? So that's first and foremost. But the question, and this is what I'm getting to, especially for those who had gone through this crisis and this analogy of foam on the runway for the crashing system. So starting in May of 2010, they started quantitative easing. They just basically, they, they go to the primary dealers, which are the largest too big to fail banks. And they say, okay, let's make a deal. You've got X amount of T-bills. You've got X amount of mortgage-backed securities. You got this and that. Let's come up with a price, sell it to us. Okay. So right. suddenly they make a deal. Let's say it's like $68 billion for, uh, you know, Chase for this uh, mortgage-backed security bundle. There you go, Fed. We got $60 billion, $68 billion, and you got... What did they get if they got mortgage-backed securities at that time? Blank paper. That was worth $68 billion? Yeah. Okay. I, I mean, what everybody was talking about at that time was, A, moral hazard. B, okay, but again, what do we loan against in this country? What's the whole purpose of debt-based currency? The purpose of debt-based currency? Yeah. Why do you loan? What do you loan against? What are the very basics of, of lending under those in any circumstance? Is to get the, to get people to uh, to move money to to well, uh, well yeah but create... but, the, but but what it's really about is collateral. So what did we just talk about that collateral? What was that stuff that they, the 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 uh, Federal Reserve purchased uh, sight unseen? Right, all the mortgage backs. So that's another aspect of it being illegal. There, no, the, the collateral was worth what? Yeah. It was worth pennies on the dollar compared to what they pay. Okay. So that's a rape and pillage, like beyond comprehension. But right. what I'm trying to get people to understand is that the foam on the runway. So the whole thing that went into the front side that we show in the con that led up to the 2008 great financial crisis is if, if you have all of that horrible lying liars, loans, deceptive acts and practices, the illegal appraisals and everything that leads up to it, right. what are we going to actually see in the courts for the most part? We're going to see servicers and foreclosure mills using the same tactics. Yeah, bogus paper. They just, they just, they, but then again, why did they get away with it? Because the quantitative easing that was purchasing from these primary dealers was trickling down to the servicers and the foreclosure mills who could just rip these houses from people like you and me and just sell them right back to these guys and these brokers that were making these deals to sell it right back to the Fed, sight unseen. So here's the point. Everything that we've heard since, and you asked me, was $29 trillion all we spent? No, brother. We spent $29 trillion in 2009. In 2019, there was another major derivatives run that started with a bank, uh, is it called Nomura in Japan? Derivatives trade was the problem. From what I've read and I've learned recently, it looks like we did another $20 trillion in backstop at that point. And that Back was in uh, September 21, when everything started to unload on them. That was 2019. This is what I'm trying to tell you. There was oh, okay. another one. That the biggest one of them all was March 2020 because of COVID. 
when the whole world came to a close, the right. Fed once again leapt into action yeah. and provided trillions upon trillions upon trillions of dollars of liquidity into the the financial structure. And now we hear, you know, but but what they stock continue market to do, did great. That's right, because who's <laughs> buying? But but who's buying it? What happened exactly. to the housing market in 2019? Exactly. Yeah, these guys are buying collateral side unseen through these brokers. So it's just like. Like you're well, that's you're, where you get the black the the BlackRock investment groups and the bingo. Uh, let me tell you another, let me ask you a question about BlackRock real quick. So when did BlackRock come into the picture and how do you know? I'm not exactly sure. So first and foremost, Larry Fink, who's the CEO of of uh, BlackRock, he was well known and he got his start really in this business by being the government's Mr. Fix It after the SNL crisis. He was in charge of the Resolution Trust, which was another variable of kind of what came later, but it was like, you know, tiny in comparison to what happened, okay? So he already had kind of a, um, a, a track record of cleaning up the, the losses of the, two, or, sorry, of the, the SNL crisis. Then he created Aladdin, and then he was also in business with Stephen Schwartzman. They were both heavily into mortgage-backed securities. By the time we got to 2007, what happened was Goldman was already in a world of uh, it, it, PR disasters that would ultimately lead to things like, you know, the great vampire squid. So they kind of, the government decided, let's give somebody else in our system who's not as well known, the the the, the, the kind of the position uh, to clean up this mess. And they went to Larry Fink and they put him in charge of what was known as Maiden Lane. Maiden Lane was the first version of what became this $29 trillion bailout. And the reason BlackRock became the powerhouse that it is, is they were the guys that were um, administering the funds and they 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 got to pick and choose the winners from that point forward. And that's why they're all over everything. And they're also on the board of directors of everything, including Netflix, whom, of course, we're not on because we expose <laughs> all this shit. Yeah, exactly. I want to once again plug what you got going in uh, in New York. It's in D.C. Uh, we're, we're, we're planning on doing the D.C. March. And okay. I'm trying I'm trying to get we, we want to do it on November 1st. I, I think that's the day of the uh, the next meeting of the Federal Reserve to determine whether or not they're going to increase the interest rates this last week. OK, so what's happening now, just briefly, is that if you've heard it all over the place, what's the Federal Reserve going to do? What's the Federal Reserve going to do? Right. <laughs> are they going to continue this this uh, uh, increase in interest rates? Uh, are they going to do quantitative tightening? They've been doing quantitative easing the whole time. So Wall Street, all the financiers of the world are addicted to easy money. Right. That's what this easy money is. It's like, what the fuck? There's a, nobody out there in America can afford the shit that we've gotten used to for our hookers. We need the Fed. We need the Fed for our fucking blow. We need our Fed so we can fuck over everybody else. Yeah. We need our Fed because we're above the fucking law. We'll give you Trump. We'll isolate Trump. We'll let the whole media say that Trump is the problem and he's responsible for all this stuff because he's the threat as a fascist to democracy. Meanwhile, the real coup d'etat happened in 2009 when we blew up the world and the Federal Reserve backed toward everybody and gave the guys who blew up the world all the money in the world to control it that much further. And they've been in control ever since, brother. So we want to be there on the first. Now, here's the thing. We don't want to be the insurrection. So we've got the permits and all the rest of it, but we're, we're getting jammed up from the uh, Park Service and also the Fed on uh, permits. So we're still trying to clean that up, but this is our plan. We might have to adjust and we'll let everybody know if we do. Um, but worst case scenario, we will have a live event where we're inviting speakers that are all experts in this stuff to hopefully get everybody's attention before the election. Because what I've been trying to tell people, in fact, everybody on TikTok is it thinks it, if you're in the red, you think I'm from the FBI trying to 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 put the noose around MAGA. If you uh, are on the blue, you think I'm somebody trying to prevent blue from voting in the elections. Meanwhile, I'm trying to tell everybody, look, you've been sold a bag of goods, man. This is not the end-all, be-all uh, democracy versus fascism. I, I keep telling everybody that corruption births fascism. So if we're going to talk about having, you know, uh, what, what is the whole situation with uh, Roe, uh, the, 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 the Democrats want to codify it, right? So that right. they can do a workaround um, of the Supreme Court. So that's big on the, on the, the ballot and it's bringing a lot of women out, right? So if yeah. abortion is the big thing. Let's think about it this way. If corruption births fascism, how about we terminate stupidity, terminate complicity, terminate corruption, terminate fascism and overwhelm corruption, giving birth to freedom and liberty and justice for all once again. 
let's get it going again, brother. <laughs> I like it. I like it. It's a big ask. It's a huge nobody's ask. Gonna, nobody's going to do anything because they all got their heads up their ass. But hopefully, hopefully we can get a few. Yeah. I mean, it's a big ask. But you know what? There was a day in 1776 that was also a big ask or 17, <laughs> 1775 uh, when they when the group was saying, you know what? We got too many potholes and our horses can't go over the streets anymore because uh, we're selling our tea and being taxed all the shit and the money's not doing anything for us and there was a big ask for everyone to say you know what fuck you king i and think they we did it and they did it they did you know? it man. and uh i i i think i think one thing that that america has shown <clears throat> and this is actually what keeps me going i i i keep a lot of things at arm's length because uh the pr machine that has become so powerful anymore in our society uh the the mass media uh which is the pr machine of of the industrial war complex and the political industrial complex and all of that yep. but Amen. um it, it's hard to navigate through all of that with the algorithms now the you and i are trying to find a voice and and, and get out there and technology is uh, uh sidelining uh based on keywords and et cetera et cetera it's it's a large ask Bro, it's the Borg. It's yeah. the Borg, dude. But yeah. what did Neo pull off, man? Another another great Bay uh, <laughs> exactly. fictional character. What did Neo do, dude? He could yeah. see it in slow motion. That's where we've gotten in this situation because we've done so much. We know, like, look, man. Before we've talked about me, thank you. I'm the guest. You're awesome. Let's talk about briefly. You are so uh, incredible by what you accomplished. Um, it's, 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 it's unbelievable. But the takeaway is let's marry this to the rest of the country, California, the largest state by population by far in the United States had, I think the housing industry in California represents a huge amount of the Californian economy, right? Large market. So what you found is like, such an epiphany. And, and what I want to bring up just in context of what I've got going on in the end, it's really fucking simple, Doug, right? It is. It what, is. What do, what do people need to know what happened in California, my man? In California, what people need to understand as far as my message uh, with quantum of justice is that in 1996, uh, they were moving forward a way to uh, substitute a trustee because of the SNL crisis of the eighties, they had investors from all over the world. There was people all over the place. And now if you wanted to sell property, it was becoming a, a problem to get everything put together. So they wanted to be able to take all of those trustees and substitute a new trustee so they could make verifiable decisions. Boom, 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 and get the process done in that time in the process. Uh, the Mortgage Brokers Association had two lawyers involved, which rewrote that that bill that was going to be signed unanimously. And they did that rewriting of that bill at the 12 o'clock hour. And subsequently now, there is no independent trustee in the deed of trust. And so now in a non-judicial foreclosure action, the court is literally corrupted and the banks own the court. In short. So, so in addition to that, again, it, it, it's such a simple and a beautiful contextualization. That's like, there you go. That That's the fucking, that's the origination story, right? Because it's like, okay, wait a second. We end up, if you watch the con, you learn that the entire pipeline was uh, brokers with liars loans that were predicated on all sorts of documentation fabrication that were built upon appraisal lies that hyperinflated the asset that ultimately was encouraged, not encouraged, demanded by lenders that were moving $70 trillion of, uh, of, of investment capital from around the world through what they called warehouse lines. They had to keep the kitty moving, except meanwhile, we didn't really have uh, uh, you know, jobs the way we used to. We farmed right. them all out. So we created credit. And so they moved this whole thing through the pipeline. And then they hyper, hyper uh, distributed the, the risk all over the world through these derivatives, all and everything. Soup to nuts was, was, was predicated on bullshit. And then in the end, you find out something like, oh, a couple of attorneys working with the mortgage brokers just simply decided that they were going to be able to get their guy to rule on foreclosure cases so nobody would actually look at the actual 
evidence of standing so they could bulldoze these things right through, get trillions right. on the way up to create this thing, trillions on the way down, and then just start and set the trap once again. That's what they did in California. What I'm telling the world is that Federal Reserve uh, Act 13.3 provided trillions upon trillions upon trillions of dollars to fucking criminals illegally. So what we need to do, and I'll give you this as a final final version for your, uh, for your audience, and I want everybody to stand and I want you to get really pissed at everybody who doesn't stand. I want you to mock the motherfuckers who don't stand to my Pledge of Allegiance because this is your reality, people. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the corrupt and perverse states of America and to the financial system for which they serve one nation in the dark by way of deception with liberty and justice for those who stole it. Yeah. Powerful words from Patrick it's Lovell. The truth bombing, baby. It is. Patrick Lovell, truth bombs all over the place. You can find him on TikTok, YouTube, podcasts everywhere. I'll have a few links here on this, uh, on this page. I want everyone, everyone needs to see the con. It's, you know, when, when, as we sit here and we say it's, it's really simple, the, the incredible part about all this is it is really simple, but the simplicity is where the complexity lies. <laughs> you know, when, you, if you want, if you want to hide something, the best place to hide it is in plain sight. Amen. Eyes wide shut, brother. And so here we are, we got. Patrick Lovell, Doug Boggs, who have gone through the trench to find an, a, a nugget of truth. And that nugget of truth has taken us the better part of the last decade or more to, to release something that is simple. And what is hard about the simplicity is that people can't wrap their minds around something so simple because everything is supposed to be complex and that's where that's why i have the smoke and mirrors and that's why i i want people to just see the smoke and mirror process where if you want something hidden it's in plain sight you can see all the signs every day when you read the newspaper it, you just read the headlines of the front page and it will show you the way to oh look a squirrel or the smoke and mirrors to what's hiding behind you know you, you, you know what i've learned recently doug is that the truth is everywhere in in, in like great television shows and, and writers of like all these great networks over the course of the last i'm going to call it 5 years or so Everything we're talking about has little pieces in different yeah. stories. Succession yeah. does it. The writers of Succession do it. We know that Adam McKay has done some amazing things. He did right. the Big Short, of course, and the Big Short was basically an appetizer to what the con is. And then, and, and quite frankly, Quantum of Justice, and then um, you know, so on and so forth. But the one thing I want to leave, you know, as my last um, sort of uh, plea, if you will, to your audience, Doug, is that I think what's so difficult for the people that you just prefaced to, to, to wrap their heads around, is that how many people go to work, let's say, for example, at the airport? Everything at the airport, if you are working in baggage, if you're working in security, if you're working behind the gate, if you're working uh, as a pilot, everything has to operate with absolute precision and synchronicity, right? right? There's high standards, right? And there, so you drive there, you expect the, the stoplights to work, you expect your car to work. If you go get on a plane, you expect the plane to work. So if all of these things in society work, how is it that our financial structure and the power could be completely discombobulated, illegal, criminal insanity, the likes the world has never seen? And I'll <laughs> give you one answer. Because we don't know how the system works. But if you got blown up in the 2008 crisis, and if you're about to be blown up now, what you've got to understand is every time you hear the word QE, understand that the Federal Reserve is buying basically sawdust securities, bonds, treasuries, whatever the case is, from uh, these insane crack hyena, uh, what, uh, you know, hedge funds, private equity, and too big to fail banks that made this shit up. And they're continuing to bury 
the United States. And here's the last point, Doug. If we thought the the, the tyranny was bad and the corruption was bad under King George the Third and the yeah. Uh, yeah. and the uh, uh, East India Trading Company, they were small potatoes, dude. Yeah. To what our system has become. Yeah. Uh, and and it's intertwined on on such a global level. It it starts to once you really start to wrap your mind around what is happening behind the scenes that people don't know about because it's so simple to see. <laughs> uh it gets fucking scary, man. What's going to happen, Doug? You tell me. What's going to happen if we don't fix this? What's going to happen? Well, what's going to happen is the the fiefdom and the serfdom uh world of of reality that has never ended is going to get much worse and the if if people think making a hundred thousand dollars a year is a comfortable position uh it's comfortable because you have a smart tv technology has allowed a comfort level to a surf uh that is beyond recognition uh, back in the day when you didn't have food and you didn't have a TV or a radio or anything, all you had was each other around a fire and a dirt floor, and you were working for a king that took all your shit. You were a serf, and and that was your life. You were poor. You don't have that anymore. You know, when I when when I was doing some traveling, uh, I've been all over the world, and and when I'm when I was in Nepal, uh, I I remember uh, I was went to a, a, this guy's house. He invites me to his house and the, the pride on his face uh, to have a guest from America in his house uh, was, uh, it was beautiful. It was a beautiful thing. We had a great time and everything. They literally had a dirt floor. They had, uh, um, you know, cans that you would sit on buckets and a table and all of that. This was a, a middle-class home in, in outskirts of Kathmandu. And they had a dirt floor and they felt like they were doing great because they had a TV. And now what you have is you have the bottom of the barrel serfdom of, of life today, which is, you know, uh, let's just say that uh, the dirt floor in Kathmandu or Africa or whatever. And, and the people here in the United States, okay, we've got tile, uh, we've got carpet, but it's the technology that has made us look at things so we don't look at things that's such a profound paradox dude (laughs) and it it creates this and it creates the serfdom and the fiefdom that maintains itself we uh, uh, if you've ever been to some of those castles in france and some of the in, in in ireland or wherever and you see the the differential then nothing has changed so what's going to happen nothing dude nothing is <laughs> it's just well, going to get worse and the people that it, it the, the 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 discrepancy of of profit versus poor will be astronomically worse as it is now which is historically profound and uh but there's enough in society that that pacifies the average person who who has this bullshit diet and diabetes up the ass because they're eating shit out of a box that's simply chemicals. You know, I mean, we could just keep going with, with how things are so screwed up because of capitalism. Capitalism is a process which I I have faith in. There is something I believe that capitalism can work. However, in the the worst ingredient of capitalism is greed and corruption and we will not get rid of it it's human nature it has existed in the human capacity since day 1 right and you and you know what while i acknowledge that and 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 i'll just maybe make my make my hope uh known to your viewers uh and you and i have had this conversation and i know where your your head is i also know where your heart is which is a beautiful thing and those those are two things that rip in different directions. And I'm like that every day as well. Yeah. Right. But you did say something before which that was hopeful that you knew that the American history has done a lot of great things in addition to a lot of horrible things. Yes. Right. Nothing's ever perfect, but, but we're talking about tyranny here. Right. Yeah. What, 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 what For me, look, after world war two, this is such a, an important thing for us to consider right now because Trump is it, the most insane buffoon I have ever witnessed. <laughs> yeah. But what but what he has done has really been this 
incredible expression of a race to the bottom because he's like, okay, you know what? I know how the system works or at least enough of it to know that you guys have got away with the stuff that we've been talking about here for the last hour or so. And uh, actually quite a bit longer than that. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> um, and, and, and I'm going to rub it in your face, America. Yeah. I'm going to show you how bad it gets. And then I'm going to have an insurrection. I'm going to invite all my white supremacist buddies. And and what Congress isn't going to do in this like high takedown of me, they're not going to bother asking the question to who paid for all those guys to get to Washington in the first place. They're not going to go deep dive on the Koch brothers, uh, even though right. Charles Koch is dead, but the Koch institutions and, right. and what's his name? Um, uh, Blackwater, Eric Prince. And that was a military like operation. And a lot of those guys oh, yeah. that showed they up there minus the. Some of those guys were military, paramilitary, some yeah. of those guys. And we saw the stuff during the Black Lives Matter. There were unmarked cops that just came back from, you know, you could tell that they were uh, unmarked cops. They were unmanned paramilitary. These right. are the guys, the types of guys that have been serving in Afghanistan. And a lot of them become, you know, because Blackwater has been in Iraq the whole time, you know, working with mercenaries to go work for oil barons and all this other stuff. And we could talk about 9-11. But what I'm trying to tell the people is – I'd say 99% of us, if we were on a on a on a bench in the park and we witnessed somebody trying to steal the purse of an old woman, I'd yeah. say a vast majority of us would do something about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Why are we not doing anything about this? Yeah. Because we haven't realized what a grand theft is on display every day that will never stop. And like what we say in the con, yeah. if you take the cops off the beat or if the cops get corrupted. Who's going to take over? The criminals. That's the way it always works. And the only way that stops is if you have integrity of the law. Now, just know this, that Ferdinand Procura was uh, a Sicilian immigrant that was a guy who came out of Tammany Hall. It was as corrupt as it gets, but he was this incredible pr prosecutor. And the federal, it, it actually came out of the Hoover administration first in terms of the Republicans that put him in the position to investigate. But he found out what Wall Street was doing. Right. And that's how we wound up with Glass-Steagall and the Securities and Exchange Commission and the Securities right. and Exchange Act and the FDIC. What America needs to understand is there's smart, smart people in this country who can make this change. It's just you, the American people, that have to rise and be counted for liberty and justice for all. Because if you don't, they will steal it from you again and they will rape you and they will throw you in the gutter because, like Doug said, that's what they do. One of those smart people. Patrick Lovell. <laughs> Patrick, Try, I, I, I enjoy our friendship and uh, I'm um, always hanging up the phone just like, oh my God, the, the brain <laughs> on this man. I, I, I love talking to you. And, and you know, really, honestly, the con, um, because uh, of where I went and the paths that I went down to write Quantum of Justice, when when you threw the con at me and i watched that through first of all it's an amazingly beautiful film and it's just so well done uh, as far as a film and you brought up the big the big short um uh and uh, i'm going to add the inside job uh both oscar winners but they don't even touch the truth and the complexity and put it in such an, uh, a package with a bow on it that Patrick has done with the con. You need to see that. The, the link will be on this page. Just uh, follow yourself through. Watch this. Wrap your mind around it. Wrap your eyes around it. Wrap your, wrap, wrap your heart around what's happening to America today. And uh, let's see if we can get some people out there. November 1, follow it. Uh, if it's not November 1, we'll keep you posted as things progress. Patrick. Thank you. Thank and you very much. Read, read, read Quantum of Justice. I, I did, and it answered more questions than I could ever possibly in, imagine. Doug, your work is heroic. Thank you, man. And you, my friend. Let's do this again. Thank you. Right on. All the best, dude. Thanks for the honor, man. You bet. Take care.